Welcome to Happy Times and Places, which is a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast, which is usually free of swearing, but there's a naughty word at the very end of this, and I couldn't resist and it would spoil it if I bleeped it out. It's, it's, I mean, it's not one of the awful ones. It's not a great one, though. Sorry. Hi, I'm Erica Lear, and um, I'm part of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, and I also uh, run my own Doctor Who conventions in, in the Northwest. The story I've chosen is the, the Caves of Androzani. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Happy Times and Places. Uh, the time is the Caves of Androzani, and the place is episode two, sort of. Uh, Erica Lear, who is quite a character, and somebody who I got to know many, many years ago. She'd asked me to do an interview for a fanzine or something, but she she runs a group in, in Liverpool and has put on conventions and is is a good laugh and uh, uh, a sort of nicely uncynical presence in the world of Doctor Who. And uh, it's always nice to have a chat to her. Um, and I'm unsurprised she has chosen The Caves of Androzani, um, a story that shouldn't be too difficult for me to uh, eulogise because it's not one that I've ever felt the need to, uh, um, you know, go against the grain and go... Not, not, I'm not saying that if you don't like Caves of Androzani, you're doing it to go against the grain. You might just not like it. But um, there are stories that are very popular that I've occasionally sort of felt quite cool you know, as cool as a Doctor Who fan could feel, going, oh, everybody likes that. Uh, I don't like it. They're wrong. They should like something more esoteric like the ones what I like. Um, but Caves, I've always been a bit of a traditionalist with. I liked it when I first watched it. And then when I came to revisit it, you know, when I got it a few years later, it was it was definitely, you know, a, it stood the test of time and you could see why it was a cut above much of what surrounded it, which was, you know, much of that down to Graham Harper, who was my choice of thing for episode one. So let's see how we do with episode two. Um, Erica and I are on a mission to celebrate all the good things about the caves of Androzani. Alexa, volume three. And I'm going to press play in three, two, one. Um, so yes, I mean, I, I remember, as I say, liking this when I was a kid, but I, I then remember seeing in at a convention I picked up some copies of DWB, Doctor Who Bulletin, which was a controversial sort of, it was slightly a cut above a fancy. it was very well professionally produced, but it, it did have a slightly grumpy attitude towards John Nathan Turner, to say the least, but it also had a, you know, top, top you know top 10 top 50 rankings you know the all-time classics and the all-time clangers ratings and suddenly i realized the joy in being able to sort of choose and disagree with what people liked and what people didn't it's interesting going back and looking at some of those what were what were seen as bad stories i remember the massacre being quite high in you know all-time clanger hartnells and you think that's just largely because people don't really know anything about it at that time because there wasn't you know there wasn't anything like the uh, what what was available, uh, what what is available now, but I was quite surprised to see you know Caves of Androzani, top all time Davison and and all time classics of all time. So I hadn't realised I was in the presence of greatness when I watched it, but that's because I'm not sure that you ever do. But then when I look back on it, you know, seeing that you go, yeah, yeah, I can see why that that's very well done. I mean the 
I remember, I'm sure, the vicar saying, well, no, that it would have made holes in the in the sheets. And you go, well, yeah, it would have done if it wasn't a, a programme that kids watch. Um, although, uh, you know, I, I, would have, I would never mention the word children when talking about Doctor Who. It was, my, it was my great desire that nobody thought of Doctor Who as a children's programme, even though I, as a child, was watching it and was bewitched by it when I was a child. But no, no, I wanted it to be seen as a grown-up programme. But of course, its strength really is that it's uh, it's suitable for children, but it does things occasionally that that you know make kids think that what they're watching is quite strong stuff. And it's only when you watch it with a, a vicar who goes, "Well, there should be bullet holes," that you go, "Oh, oh yeah, maybe this isn't you know in the same league as the actual adult shows." But it's still not really for children, even though I am a child. But I'll ignore that. <laughs> um, this is all lovely. I like the. Uh, I, I I I feel this is a kind of dig at. Norman Tebbit or conservative politics of the time this idea that you make people unemployed and then you punish them for that unemployment or you make them you make them work to get their benefits which is not the same as working for a wage <laughs> um, or it could just be to show what a horrible world um, you know the world of politics is in Androzani this is so beautifully shot and I love Peter Davison's a kind of hard stare that he gives a but somebody who gets the the you know the inaccurate descriptors of um you know the wet vet or or that he's slightly sort of bland um i i, I think completely doesn't notice peter davison's brilliant acting and performance and i love the attitude that he has ah i remember watching this i some dear friends of mine at university they were so kind they bought me a cyberman it was on doctor who's birthday they bought me a, a sevens cyberman uh, and and let me put on a sort of show for them we watched loads of doctor who together and i think now well, what good friends they were for really indulging me and it was at their house but i got really got really annoyed because we watched thing. We, I remember this episode. I remember they talk now about a deep penetration mission, um, and it's Ensign Cass. And I always thought, oh, Cass, because that's the name of a character in the Robots of Death. But this is brilliant because it's, again, it's showing what an uncompromising world this lives lives. This is, and that the, the Chelak, usually the sort of person who would be the goody, really, um, uh, is you know is uncompromising and he's watching his own back and he'll send a guy on a, essentially a suicide mission an extra we don't even know but that that also that almost gives it a bit of poetry as well um to, to you know to save his skin and it's got sanity in there giving him the good advice but i remember my friend greg who's a smart guy you know just pissing himself because it's a deep penetration mission and then missed all of the rest of this because i was having to sort of back that off and it's go well you choose to take that as a double entendre if you want to i don't think that was the writer's intention because we're in caves and blah, blah, blah. and why would you do that to then make audience members who are easily distracted miss some really good stuff that you've slaved over a typewriter to conjure um because there's a double entendre i remember you know being annoyed with my friends who were doing a lovely thing they were hosting a doctor who night for me brilliant this is so well shot davison so good the hand on the shoulder the, the the rattling music you know all that stuff missed because of deep penetration mission and they did it again here which i love this scene it's got a beautiful symmetry to it it's fantastically filmed it's a thing about sort of status and again it's 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 showing what a what a cruel world and however nobody really likes each other you could tell why eric saywood liked like this script everyone hates each other um 
but it, but you know it's it's painting a it's painting a cruel world that the doctor you know has kind of stumbled into the most the most sort of innocent and youthful and uh, of, of doctors um and and here again they have a there's a line isn't there where he says you guys have got two choices or you two guys have got a choice um you guys have got one option uh, you you stick with me, or you can stay here. And again, my friend goes, "Well, that's two options." And you go, "Oh, re- watch the scene, enjoy that." That, by the way, is the father. That's Les Conrad, the father of uh, the Conrad twins, who are in the twin dilemma in the next story. Um, but again, they were g- g- giggling about that. You you can quibble with the the character's phraseology. Sometimes people don't phrase themselves elegantly. You could also argue it is really only one option because staying here is an is an option, or the the one option is the choice between the two. Doesn't matter. But again, the fact that that caused sort of smartassery from students, friends of mine, uh, at the expense of this, which is brilliantly filmed, brilliantly acted, brilliantly scored, everything about it. Um, just just made me think do i watch telly differently from how other people watch it there was also an argument that you know he's not really making him chew the thing but again you'd kind of argue that that's the that's the point um and again enjoy it for what it is go for it for what it is or or maybe sort of think about that afterwards and then realize oh no no, he wasn't really going to make him chew it uh yeah, so I'm not, you know, I'm not a fan of Gogglebox. Goggle he says as as he talks through an entire television program, but I I I do find, I do get quite cross when people sort of chip in during a program to, to say something that is inaccurate or or disproved later or just not helpful. But I'm aware that that's perhaps very much me. I hope there's some sympathy in my audience here. Davison is so good here. He is so good. He, you know, this is this is a really nice side of his doctor. He, he gets a bit tetchy and frontios as well, but he's really rising to the drama of this. You can tell that. It, well, you can't because he's a seamless, flawless actor. I'm going to say you can tell that he's enjoying this script. No, he's just he's just matching it. He's just treating it with the respect it it deserves, uh, and because he's so good. And look at the way that Harper shoots all of this stuff the dynamic that he's got between these three and and i like um holmes's slightly old-fashioned phraseology as well you have the mouth of a prattling jackanapes uh, and i love the insolent smile that davison gives and then walks off without saying anything and and of course um christopher gable is so elegant and so controlled um but you can tell that you know underneath that because he was a dancer wasn't he so he, he moves so beautifully and you have that brilliant um, costume that he's got that's so tight fitting that sleek physique of his uh, but underneath you know he's broken uh, and inside there's a like like the mud bubbling under the surface of Androzani underneath his uh, you know his you know his elegance is is the is you know is the bubbling fury of a vengeful psychopath it's all it's all so good and and the gloom the, the the lighting the sort of the fact that all the sets and everything which are quite simple and they're sort of control panels stuck against sort of rock formations or whatever uh, are are shot in a way that you don't really make them out which means that that's very helpful to the you know limited resources of the production oh it's just so good and that mask look at that mask um and of course the story the story goes that christopher gable was seen for the part of salatine which is a good role goes to a very good actor um but was really interested in playing jack and i think they'd looked at people like david bowie hadn't they for 
for Jack, but 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 Gable had kind of um, lobbied to to be to be given a bit of Jack, and uh, it's it's one of the great Doctor Who performances. I think he's one of the great Doctor Who villains, uh, and it just goes. And I always like a story where an actor goes in for a smaller part and gets given a bigger one because it's it's what old actors dream of, especially actors that are usually seen for for smaller parts. <laughs> um, we all see things through a filter of our own inadequacies don't we maybe we don't maybe i do and i'm trying to universalize myself uh like the narcissist that uh, that we all are that i am um i want the head of that pavidious treacherous degenerate brought to me here it's wonderful he's so good at this slightly melodramatic dialogue and yet when it's done well and well it when it's when it's when it's pitched properly within a production, it actually just elevates it slightly. I, you know, I don't think you particularly want your Doctor Who to be sort of Ken Loachian monosyllables. You 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 want a bit of extravagance to the to the phraseology and to the characterization, but not in a way that is parodic or. Or, or unbelievable it's a bit you know it's like Shakespeare Shakespeare is all a bit overblown but it tells you but but it, it raises you know it, it raises the stakes in everything that it does in its forms of expression in its dialogue in in the in the preoccupations of its characters in the psychology that it portrays to but it's all big it's all bigger than we would do sitting in a living room but to to get to to get to a you know to get to a, a, a sort of dramatic and exciting but but a truth um or it's a silly program about a man who travels through time and space in a police box. But that's great. That's so I I love the the sort of semi comic stuff between Morgus, who's such a scum. He's such a horrible man. And that brilliant the 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 fades we've had between Jack and Morgus and the and the the profile then Morgus going around in his chair having said just make it half a minute which is a lovely piece of black comedy and Barbara Kinghorn is very good as Tim in kind of you know they're 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 both acknowledging that what they're doing is you know being being a bit grim but without of course acknowledging it at all it's very clever and I love this scene uh again it's 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 bleak isn't it does this taste as good as it looks no worse um you're not very you're not going to be our friend you know normally in the doc two thing you get thrown together with a prisoner and you become mates and plot the escape no he's going uh, they're going why are you so cold well because he'll kill me now because he's got you you know everything is just that little bit darker now i think perhaps where eric saywood went wrong was that he thought that this was the default and this is how you should do doc two and you can see season 22 trying to ape a lot of this and it has to be done in good hands and Robert Holmes and Graham Harper are probably the the best hands for wielding pen and camera respectively um and 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 you know this is this is so grim and cruel the fact that you know he, he issues the news that they're dying through laughter uh you know it's 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 it's, it's again it's grim and it's horrible and and it's and and great uh great you know dialogue you know tdp um what's that thermal death point but he you know it's it's spectrox toxemia toxemia is a is a good word as well and it's of course reminiscent of the dystronic toxemia in uh in genesis of the daleks but but it all makes it just seem a little bit real and, and that and that makes it somehow seem more threatening because they have they have uh abbreviations and they have you know proper medical terms and all of that um, and I love the way that when he turns him round, he suddenly the the smile goes and the laughter goes, and it's 
you know, severe and it's real and it's desperate, it's dangerous. Uh, it's really good. It's really good and it's really well observed. Um, uh, but yes, I, th I think you can... I think the reason this works so well, I mean, one, it's... It, quite often Doctor Who... Um, well, I was going to say quite often Doctor Who doesn't have a sense of occasion, and you know, and that, and that opening and closing stories aren't aren't always a, a big deal. But actually, Planet of the Spiders is an obvious big climax. The, uh, the War Games is an obvious big climax epic that reveals something about the show's history. So maybe I'm wrong there. Um, Colin Baker couldn't help his his climax. Uh, you know, his his exit, nor could you know McCoy. Um, but this has a this anyway whatever this has a real sense of that you know they saved the best till last this 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 is this is taken seriously the fact that it's a finale i i even like the way he eats his green porridge the way he he sort of and all they ever find are its table leavings and it, and, it, and 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 the way that he licks the the spoon in in that sort of grim that 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 it's i don't know there's something about the ritual that he that he does that is he's thought about just doing the spoon in a slightly different way that's not unbelievable but that's slightly unusual that's a bit watchable like it like it like it um uh but but yes there is an argument that they did this well and so they went now let's do this all the time and they did it less well than this and the 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 incessant violence um the sometimes contextless violence um, I mean, I don't. I I actually quite like season twenty-two, but I know a lot of people who don't. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I'm I'm sympathetic to the idea that 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 some of the violence in season twenty-two was unnecessary and you know obviously didn't do the show any favors in the eyes of those um, you know pulling the strings. Um, but I mean, it's because any Doctor Who story, of course works because it's part of a of a great big mosaic and the beauty that we have with doctor who is that unlike i think almost any other show is that it 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 it, it remains itself but it but carnival of monsters in doctor is doctor who is the same way that this is doctor who is the same way that spearhead from space is doctor who and they are all totally different and yet they're all doctor who and i deliberately chose ones written by the same guy as well um and this this is very nice, artfully done as well. The you know uh, Salatine is perfect. Oh no, he's not. He's actually a bit weird. Um, but I hadn't noticed Glenister acting like that when I was a kid, so it was quite a pleasant surprise to see him doing it as a grown up and going, ah, okay, that it's being given a signal. But but it's not it's not Archer, it's not Hammy, and you can see why. You know Chelak, who's his own kind of oaf anyway, um, doesn't see. But the actor is giving the signal of you know his his uh slightly inhuman um which is helped with in the writing as well of course that he you know he's one step ahead uh and this is great this is so well done here i mean it is a trope and that you know there are there are discussions to be had about D doctor who's use of uh you know disability as a as a shorthand for um you know mental instability or badness but you know, I think this is a this is a perfectly, you know, it gives a lot of motivation to Jack, and again, the casting of somebody with such elegant body language, um, uh, and and 
the fact that you know he's you know I, I love that doesn't he have the line about I who was once comely I think that, again that the, that's a word like jackanapes that is has a slightly old fashion fessanine back of slime uh, <laughs> um, I love all of that that use of language comely is particularly kind of wholesome and 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 sort of slightly melancholic um and the way that he's you know he's he's you know he's standing up you know dead straight to try and maintain his dignity while he's being sort of gnarled up inside but yes i mean i i would be interested in watching this with my my other half who might have something to say about well you know uh especially if she knew that there was also a talents of wen chiang where you know the 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 mad bad guy uh, has his mask ripped off and is you know is all uh gnarled underneath but you know it's science fiction and it's horror and uh these are these are tropes that that exist within the genre and i think obviously one is more sensitive to them today uh but i but i think you you know i i i, I think you do get a pass when you're doing sort of melodramatic storytelling uh, especially when you know, Jack is actually treated with a certain, you know, dignity. He's, you know, he's 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 actually probably in the end one of the more sympathetic sympathetic characters in this. Uh, and I think it's a reasonable character motivation to give somebody to say, well, you know, you caught me in a mud mud burst and physically damaged me. Therefore, I'm, you know, bent on bent on revenge, and. It then evokes the old Phantom of the Opera and all of the other stuff, so it so it helps with that in terms of the we've got an anchor in in storytelling that we're familiar with. This is brilliantly lit, you know. These these cave sets are hard to do. I talked last last week about uh, last episode about watching the Descent, for which I think the designer should have won an Oscar because I thought it was filmed on location. You know, these are sets, but I think they're a really good stab, um, and they're very very well lit. Uh, and uh, you know they allow for good staging of these scenes. And this is—I mean—the lighting here is fantastic. Who is doing the lighting? Is it—is uh, it Babbage? I'll have to—I'm going to keep an eye out for who's doing the lighting. It's excellently lit. Uh, this whole story, um, and Graham Harper's—you know—got everybody to up their game. Um, and those shadows really help. But I love—I love. I love all of these characters too you know i be i believe that these guys have slightly sort of edgy relationships you know that are down to money and convenience and i remember thinking this was so clever at the time because i loved the doctor having two hearts that was a thing you knew if you were a fan and you go i mean it's obviously now it's just a thing hanging hanging outside this thing but it seemed so brilliant to be able to see what the android was seeing and the doctor's two hearts underneath uh, and of course, it seemed like a really clever thing. Again, it's the sort of thing what, as a kid watching, you feel smart to be involved in because you go, oh, yeah, because it would it would read a human as having one heart. But because he's got two hearts, it, it won't react. It won't know how to react. So it gives him a chance to do what he does. I mean, you'd think, actually, it would just be programmed to just, you know, if it, if it reads something that it doesn't quite read properly, it would it would shoot. Um, but I think because it's a. And I like, I like the way he picks up the gun. Oh, and then and then they cock their guns. So it's con. You know, he's thinking because this wasn't shot in order. You know, he's thinking about how one scene links to the other. It's all wonderful. But yeah, I I think that's a, that's one of those things when you're watching when as a as a kid you feel smart. Uh, 
and and that's always nice to bring you in when you don't understand. I, you know, I didn't understand all the politics of this. Uh, I didn't pick on sub, up on some of the subtleties of characterization. I, I picked on a lot of the unsubtleties of characterization, which again goes back to the the Phantom of the Opera and the the revenge story and all of that. But uh, I didn't. I, I'm sure I didn't really quite understand how everybody you know how everybody fitted into each other now uh, Krelper here is Roy Holder um oh both of these guys have gone now both had love wonderful careers um and I was convinced that R Krelper was George Sweeney who was in uh Citizen Smith who was an actor I really liked and he was in other things and he had a sort of name that fitted George Sweeney and he played sort of tough guy he was a character called speed in citizen smith which was a comedy with robert Lindsay and uh, stephen greif who's just uh, no longer with us and cheryl hall from carnival of monsters um and peter vaughan and hilda braid anyway um i like george sweeney he was an actor that i liked and th and he's he's not unlike his physiognomy is not unlike that of roy holder um and I remember sort of looking at the credits and going, why is it not saying George Sweeney? And they went too quickly and I was quite young. So so I I, I didn't quite read them, you know, as, as well as I would have. Like, and, I, and I never and it was only when I, you know, got to look at guys. I was like, no, it's not George Sweeney. It's 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 somebody else. And then got to know Roy Holder's work and was like, oh, no, he's, he's pretty cool as well. But I do think, I do think it's sad that. George Sweeney never ended up in Doctor Who, although I also think it's sad that Michael Craze was going to play Krelper, and that was vetoed by John Nathan Turner. And actually having Michael Craze, not only because it would be nice to have Michael Craze in the story, but having Michael Craze in another last story of a Doctor, because he was there for as Ben for William Hartnell's last story. So I thought that was a shame. And really odd of John Nathan Turner, who never passed up an opportunity to uh, have a nod to the to the to the past of the show suddenly decided not to it seems to me like a a, a sudden wielding of arbitrary power which i never like it when when people do um she has been taken from me so is so good and i love the the bit where um salatine holds perry in front of him i mean he's not doing it you know he knows it won't shoot because she's got the belt but again it seems like a sort of savage and practical and uncompromising thing it seems quite undoctor who which is what i like and here of course this this episode has been perfect the characterization the dialogue the lighting the filming the scripting uh and of course the bit that anybody might catch by chance is this bit um which has got a crap because it's the cloak that really doesn't help um uh, with, and it's wobbly fingers look it's 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 you can tell its fingers aren't sort of filled um so of course the bit that uh, the bit that most people catch or the bit that most people remember and of course the bit that my student friends who are watching this with me they weren't gonna let you've got one option and uh, deep penetration mission go they weren't gonna let wobbly fingered cloak dragon uh, go were they so of course the the derision and hilarity was uh ringing in my ears um as this episode saw itself out, which is a shame because the last cliffhanger had been so good. And I mean, I would say it's probably one of about 20 seconds in the whole hour and a half that's a bit pony. Uh, and and it's the end of episode two, um, which is a real shame. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it is Don Babbage doing the lighting. Take the week off, Toby. Um, so there we go. That was episode. I think that's a great episode. That's an episode of, if only for the last couple of seconds, that's an episode of Doctor Who I would, you know, I would happily show 
anybody. Uh, I think it's uh, magnificent. Very, very strong. Um, what am I going to choose? That's really hard because... I mean, I was thinking Sharon's Jack because it's a beautiful costume. It's, it, I mean, it goes without saying it's a wonderful performance and I love that dialogue that he has and those moments that he has with Perry and the way that the Doctor sort of interacts with him. And, you know, for Jack, he's captured Perry and there's this, there's this other bloke and the Doctor sort of, you know, faces him down and kind of goes, this is my show, pal. And, and it's so nice seeing Davison do that. It's another side to Davison's repertoire that I think, again, is, is often underestimated. Um, he's, he's a much stronger actor than I think he's... he's well, no, I think he, everyone knows he's a good actor. He's never out of work. But I, I think he's a much more interesting actor. He's much more of a character actor than he's given credit for. Um, I think he's a brilliant Doctor. Um, and I love the way that, yeah, he infuses all of those scenes with Jack with a kind of, uh, you know, steely-eyed insolence. Um, but Jake's, Jake's dialogue is great. And, and, and that backstory and, the, and, and, and all of the stuff that sort of Harper, how he frames him. Um, and, and I love that mask and that sleek fitting costume and his, you know, his gait, his body language. And he, I think watching it this time, albeit I'm aware I'm talking all the way through it. Um, which I got annoyed with my mates for doing, you know. Um, uh, but but what struck me, I think, most in, in in this watch today is is Jack. But it's difficult because I feel I can't just choose one character because I remember as a kid my favorite character was Stotts because he was like from he he felt like he was from a grown up show and he was played by a sort of genuinely, you know, earthy, tough guy, working class. Re, you know regionally accented although not not particularly strongly but he, he wasn't you know he wasn't you know his, his diction wasn't as rsc as a lot of of doctor who bad guys diction often is so it felt you know it felt like he'd come in from a grown-up show um you know maybe that's why i thought george sweeney was in it because it felt like they were from the sweeney you know um with his with his machine gun that i loved with the with the gas things on it so i love loved those characters because they they made me feel that my show was grown up it was only later um that morgus made a big impact on me because uh uh, you know, I think he's more of a character for the grown-ups in the room. You know, the the cynical, wily, you know, politician, uh, businessman uh, type who will, you know, sacrifice anything for for his ends, but but will always portray the, um, you know, has has a veneer of respectability, whereas actually he's as conniving uh, or more conniving and cult-hearted than anybody else but he was a respectable man um and and again Salatine I remember quite liking Salatine as a character but it's only again later that I realized what a good job and what an interesting job uh uh, Robert Glenister was doing. He seemed quite a bit like a kind of heroic character I was, when I when I was younger. It was a, I only picked up on the edges, you know, when I when I watched it again, you know, a few years down the line. So all the character and all the character. Chellac's a great character. Krelper's a great character. Tim, even the president and David Neal is excellent as the president. They're all great characters. So am I doing them a disservice if I choose Jack? Um. And I, my other possibility is, is the scene between Krelper and Stotch, where where, you know, one stands up, standing astride the other, they have a difference of opinion, 
and the scene ends with the other one astride the other having re-established who's boss but after a brilliantly filmed giddying scene of uh you know Krelper's being dangled over the edge of the cliff and at a you know poison capsule put in his gob and threatened at knife point i mean this is the sort of thing that as a kid i'm going whoa and then of course watching it with my sort of 18 20 year old university mates it was soft stuff to them and that that didn't seem to, to to hit them at all because of course we were used to watching films that had far worse but in the context of it being in doctor who it's incredible and now looking at it now you go there aren't many scenes like that with doctor who. and there's similar stuff i mean the bit in revelation of the daleks where lilt goes you know i must mark her but that that seems like that's eric saywood going ah you you can do things like that but but that seems to me slightly gratuitous because it doesn't come from anywhere and it doesn't go anywhere. It's just like it's knives, it's violence, it's visceral. Whereas this this comes from character dynamic. This is that that whole scene is about character dynamic. It's about the fractious relationship between Stotts and Krelper, uh, and and you know what he has to do to to you know maintain his command over what is obviously a bunch of bloodthirsty rogues i think it's also very clever how you know you have you have that whole bunch of them but the only two that talk to each other are stotts and krelper and that's a that's a necessity of the way that you know television can only afford certain amount of speaking actors and characters and stuff but i actually think that works that works pretty well because all those other ones get kind of involved in that scene don't they because while stotts is wrestling krelper jerry o'brien who's the the bearded one he kind of he kind of points his gun at the other two as if to say, you're not getting involved here. So you've got a little dynamic going between between those, you know, Jerry O'Brien and uh, and uh, the, Le- the Les Conrad one and the other one. Um, and Jerry O'Brien and Roy Holder both both died uh, last year. Well, I'm, I'm actually recording this on the first day of 2023, but let's say last year. They both died in 2021. They were both on my In Memoriam in 2021. What's your In Memoriam, Toby? I do a Doctor In Memoriam at the end of every year. And, uh, and and put it on YouTube. So if you've never seen those, do have a search. It's where I just sort of do a you know a, a list, uh, a video list and clips and pictures of people from the world of Doctor Who who have who have left us. And Roy Holder and Jerry O'Brien were were both on the same list in the same year. Um, so look, those those are the two that I mean. But there's also the cave set. Uh, I mean, the music's got to have a nod somewhere. A Davison's ex, the extra edge to Davison's performance. But even when I think of that, I think of Jack's leather-gloved hand going on on the shoulder. I think I'm going to go for. I'm going to go with my instinct. I'm going to go for Sharis Jack. Not just the performance, which I think is brilliant. I think. Uh, I think Christopher Gable is superb and I'm really glad he successfully lobbied to get that part having been seen for a different one. Um, I can't imagine anybody else doing it as well. And, you know, the temptation to go for a real star name as well. I mean, he's hugely respected. He was, you know, he was one of the most respected ballet dancers of his generation. And, uh, you know, yeah, hugely, hugely. But, 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 you know, didn't do an awful lot of television acting. He's a film actor in some of Ken Russell's things, isn't he? Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I... I will go for Shara's Jack because I, I love the the tight leather costume. That mask is so beautiful, and and what what that dynamic that he has with Davison and with and with Nicola Bryant that that sort of threesome that they have there of this very uneasy, you know, where he's trying to be sort of civilized, and nice to them, but Davison sort of going, "I've got your number," and Paris trying to trying to remain calm under what is a bit creepy, you know. 
but you also are sympathetic with Jack because you know he was once comely and now hides in a cave with androids and it's all and that suppressed rage that he has yes yes please I am going to go for Shara's Jack but you know not just performance look writing performance character dialogue the whole shebang what's Erica chosen episode two well okay um so I was seven when I first watched Occasion on Rizali so I think my favourite thing from this would have would have been the um the, the whole plot twist with Celatine. Um that that, you know, you first you know, told that um Celatine um had a doppelganger or an android in the base and I I thought this was wonderful as a seven year old and you know, I'm just realising about plots and how things are done and how things are written. So this this is a favourite bit of mine, the bit where you go, ah, he's a spy. Uh, that is a good bit. And actually, I remember that being a, a, a bit that I remembered hitting very well when I was a kid. I'm, I, I'd forgotten that until uh, Erica reminded me there. And also, I could have chosen that scene between the Doctor and Salatine where he laughs at their misfortune and then that change of expression when the Doctor spins him around and goes, look what's going on. Because uh, I, I, I just love the way that is played. That That's, that you know, that's that's two good actors having a bit of rehearsal time to, to just work out a really interesting dynamic. I, lo- I love that scene. Um, but yes, I remember that plot twist being a thing that I could ha- hang my understanding on as a kid, uh, and go, oh, yeah, because he's that, and he's yeah, and and oh, now that they've escaped, what's that going to mean for the one that's in the base? And that's yeah, that was a good plot twist for 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 me as a kid as well. And I've I've perhaps underestimated this time around because I take it so much for granted. But it is it is a great bit of plotting and storytelling, and it, and it allows for. Um, you know much of the stuff that that that, that t- t- takes place from now and some interesting dynamics in in the next episode so that's a good choice uh and i i'm you know on a might have chosen that on another day i don't know but um it's certainly one i can i can appreciate and agree with so yeah i don't think i'm gonna win this am i but everybody loses in the caves of Androzani, so it's kind of appropriate. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that episode. I think it's one of the strongest episodes of Doctor Who, and as and I'm working on a uh, on a podcast at the moment about not everything being perfect, and uh, and so I, it's ruefully that I look at it and go, yeah, I mean, it's everything about that episode is is pretty much bang on, apart from the closing closing minute and a half if that and the cliffhanger and the dragon um so just just goes to show that nothing can ever quite be perfect uh yeah you know so um so you know even yeah yeah so look like, like this like i've just got to a conclusion i've just made my closing point and now i'm sort of tailing off trying to find something profound to say but in a way isn't that what it's all about is that nothing is ever perfect but no because i don't agree with that because i don't like doctor who because of its imperfections and i think people are patronizing when they say that yeah doctor who's good because it's a bit naff no no the naff bits used to set my teeth on edge and used to make my guts clench in embarrassment uh so no that's that's patronizing be off with you uh i like doctor who because it's good I get really annoyed those moments when it's not. Uh, 
but as a metaphor for life the thing that uh, the, the fact that the thing that i love most in the world has has bits that um well i, I think it shows that the 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 that seeking perfection is perhaps a folly and that you can still you know great great enjoyment i loved watching that um even with something with with obvious faults so that teaches us to live with our own obvious faults uh because nothing is perfect although of course none of us can live with our obvious faults and <laughs> anyway who yeah nine out of ten no it is it's a 10 out of 10 story so it's the 10 out of 10 story even though it's got bits that don't quite work and that's okay because you can because because nobody's perfect but you can still be a 10 out of 10 i don't know how that works but it's true anyway i have i wrung enough meaning out of a metaphor i tried to conjure well if i didn't it just proves nobody's perfect which i said about 10 minutes ago should have stopped then so i'm gonna stop now it was going so well and then it all went to shit at the end like the caves of androzani episode two <laughs> thank you very much for listening to happy times and places which is presented by me toby haydoke and my special guest erica lear erica can be found on twitter at erica lear three I'm grateful to her and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Jason Tyken, Christopher Newman, Pete Lambert, Philip, Joe Ford, Matthew Speddings, Graham Slate, Matthew Simpson, Jonathan Appleton, Richard Thomas, William Hames, David Trainier, Matthew Simpson, Frank Shales, Christy Matty Sarillo, Barry Platt, Adam Parker, Graham Knott, Kevin Murdoch, Missing Episodes Doctor Who Podcast, Nathan Martin, Philip Marsh, Gavin McLean, Joe Llewellyn, Ian Key, Chris Hyam, Shimon Galichon, Jason Gorman, Paul Dunn, Chris Dunford Kelk, John Deere, Grant Davidson, Rob Dawson, Peter Crocker, Richard Chalk, Paul Cook, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Nigel Bromley, David, and Tim Arding. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Would you like to be listed amongst those names? Then you can go to patreon.com forward slash Toby and you will get your name mentioned on the credits. The tiers on the Patreon start at £3 per month and you get pretty much everything for that, including a name check. The higher up the tiers you go, the more often you get a name check and there are a few other trinkets uh, as you ascend the patronage ladder but most stuff is available all the content is available at the lowest tier i don't like the idea of withholding anything so um so yeah i uh, oh and also if you uh if you pay for a year in one go you get a 10 percent discount whether you're a three pound patron or a million pound patron there aren't any of those um but uh, yeah you get a 10 percent discount if you sign up for a year in one go um, or you could go for, to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. There are no um, bonuses there, but um, uh, it's just a way of not having a monthly commitment uh, and a way of sort of, you know, walking past me as I strum my guitar in the London Underground and you particularly like the tune that I'm playing or I look particularly hungry or sad. Um, or you've just had a good day, whatever. That's how Kofi works. It's metaphorically buying me a coffee, whereas a uh, Patreon you do get extra things you get bonus content 
you get uh, monthly AMAs, you get a podcast that's just for you, uh, and you get everything well in advance. Happy Times and Places about six months in advance, and then you're about a month in advance for the uh, for the Indefinable Magics and the Too Much Information podcasts. So that's patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, or... And I know times are tough. I've just seen how much a pint of milk costs. And it, it wasn't costing that six months ago. Uh, but you can give these five-star ratings and a nice line of review wherever you get your podcasts. That costs you nothing, and it does really help me and these podcasts. So thank you. You can also bang on on social media if you like. These have a Twitter handle, at Haydoke Podcasts. Haydoke is inexplicably spelt H-A-D-O-K-E. Uh, and my own Twitter feed is uh, at Toby Haydock. We'll plug some of the comedy stuff that I do as well as the various Doctor Who things. Um, oh, oh, Erica Lear, by the way. Erica Lear 3. It's Lear as in the king, L-E-A-R, not Lear as in L-E-E-R, which is what Shara's Jack does to Perry. Um, and do follow Erica and her conventions that she organises are absolutely terrific. So uh, avail yourself of one of those if you can. I think there's going to be one this year, and I will be along if I possibly can be. Um, and, yeah, I also have a Facebook page. Um, you go to my page that's for, for the comedian me, you know, I think it's his actor or comedian, not my personal page, which I'm I'm kind of stripping of people that I, I don't know, I think, and, uh, and, and having my work one. It's still me. It's just a way of differentiating between... Um, my work life and my home life even though I work from home <laughs> and at work I tend to talk about and do the things I do at home look it's just an attempt to be a grown-up all right and because I've got 5,000 Facebook friends and I've met about 12 of them so I'm trying to do it properly uh, so yeah follow like do whatever to the Toby Haydock performer Facebook page because that that will make me feel like I'm being a professional uh and yeah and and follow my comedy club xs malarkey on twitter as well that's an x and s and the word malarkey m-a-l-a-r-k-e-y thank you Right, uh, well, that's the end of another episode. I mean, I'm not sure we we're ever going to get to the end. So I tried to wring some some kind of lesson, some kind of fable uh, out of, uh, yeah, basically Doctor Who not being perfect. But there we go. I'm going to be brief because rec I'm recording this on New Year's Day 2023. So whenever you're listening to this, I hope 2023 has turned out to be all right. Um, it's not promising a lot but i'm seeing a lot of mates you know on on twitter things going oh yeah this year's just gonna be rubbish i think oh, i'm gonna try and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna try and be positive again i'm not i mean i'm not i'm playing against my own personality i'm not a, a naturally uh g g you know gilded with positivity myself but i think what one gives out one should try to be positive because it's easy to be cynical and it's easy to be down and i and i, I don't think that helps so i'm not all blooming tits and teeth and la di da di um but but i'm try i'm trying okay um and I, you know if you're if 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 you're listening to this when it's released out into the wild you're probably thinking why is he talking about the start of 2023 we're in july well you may well be and i hope that come july things have been sunny and glorious and lovely uh uh 
but you know at the moment it's dark well because it's winter and um it, it was a tough year 2022 for many uh so let's hope that 2023 is better and it doesn't end in a in a in a bloodbath uh, <laughs> or ruined by an unconvincing dragon <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i think i'll leave it there <laughs> welcome to 2023 whenever you're listening to this i mean this could be out here forever of course couldn't it uh so, um, you know, if, if you're listening in the year 2072, I uh, hope it's my... God, I'd be 98. Um, wow. Well, yeah, that's something to look forward to. I wonder if I will listen to this when I'm 98 and go, is that what you did with your life? You watched Doctor Who and spoke through it. Uh, you, you, yeah, you, you wanted to play Hamlet at the RSC, mate, and you did that. Well done. Yeah, right. God, God, that's a pessimistic start, isn't it? See, this is this is what I'm like. This is what I'm like. Hello, joy, everybody. Seasons greetings. Hurrah. Goodbye.